Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Good News with Angie Austin. Now, with the Good News, here's Angie. Hey there, friend, Angie Austin and Jim Stovall. This is the Good News, and we are speaking about Jim's Winner's Wisdom column, as we do every week for it seems like about the last decade. And today's column is titled, You're Covered. Welcome, Jim. Hey, it's always great to visit with you, Angie. (laughs) Ditto. All right, so what is You're Covered about? Well, recently I was listening to one of those national business call-in shows, and they had a guy that specialized in insurance and warranties. So people from all across the country were calling in with their sad stories that the the roof leaks, the car broke down, the refrigerator isn't working, you know, all the different things. And it's just uh, it just life. Life happens. And, you know, this guy would go through and, and, and to see if they were covered. And the majority of people were not covered. And they were just sad. And But every once in a while, somebody was covered, and they were all excited. And, you know, and then I realized we control that. I mean, there's one simple financial thing all of us can do, and we can be covered for virtually any emergency that ever happens to us. And that's the simple thing of getting an emergency fund, a, a six-month, whatever it takes for you to live a, a, per month. If you'll add, multiply that times six and save that amount of money and just leave it there, it will be the most powerful money in your life. I mean, I've gone from extreme debt to poverty to uh, now, uh, you know, I'm a multimillionaire, and I've been very, very blessed. But the most important amount of money, the most significant thing the money's ever done for me is that peace of mind of just having that emergency fund. It just sits over there, and when anything happens, you know, the car, the roof, the refrigerator, you know, something happens, we need to take care of something, we don't worry about it. It's already taken care of, and then you fill back up your emergency fund, and you're good to go again. And so it's just, it's the one powerful thing. If I could get everyone to do that, your life would change, because, you know, financial pressures bring on divorce, depression, suicide, all of these things statistically we know go back to financial pressure, and we can avoid most of that, and it's really not that hard to do. So we, you know, from time to time in the news, see these articles come out about Americans and what percentage of Americans have, you know, less than 500 in the bank, et cetera, et cetera. And every time that information comes out, I am stunned because even back in high school and college, you know, working uh, full time uh, every night and every weekend in high school and college, starting out as a cleaning lady at 509 an hour while I was in high school getting straight A's. I mean, wasn't a lot of money, right? And um, all I did is work and go to school. And even I had these funds. You know what I mean? I remember yeah. I remember my brother's girlfriend coming to me to borrow $500 because she knew that I always saved money. And I can't imagine going through life with the stress of not having a fund like that. And I get it. A lot of us don't make as much money as others. I certainly was in that category then, you know, and had expenses for college and books and a car and clothing and gas and insurance. Um, so... I, I, I don't. How do people go about doing this if they think they don't have the money to save? Well, I would say you start, you know, 
if you will set aside an amount of money and just have it automatically taken out of your check or just have it taken out of your account and set it aside at the bank in just an interest-bearing savings account, nothing exciting, just this is money you can get to 24-7 any day you want it. And if you'll just set aside that, that 10%, it won't take long till you'll have that emergency fund. And then once you have the emergency fund, if you'll just let that 10% continue, it won't be long till you'll have an amazing savings investment retirement account. You know, success comes not from doing anything outstanding or amazing. It comes from just doing something consistently all the time. And then, you know, and I still encourage people, you know, you keep the insurance for things that um, – that create problems you need, you need insurance. But one of the things you can do once you have an emergency fund is you can raise your deductibles on a lot of your insurance and, and you can save just tons of money because you don't have to insure the first dollar. I mean, you can have a $1,000 deductible or $2,500 deductible and it's not a tragedy anymore. And then there's an insurance policy that most people don't even know about and it's called an umbrella policy. And once you start to accumulate some wealth, which you will if you'll just set aside this 10%. Once you accumulate some wealth, you will want to have an umbrella policy for the amount of your net worth because what this does is it insures everything beyond your insurance coverage. So, um, and it's the cheapest insurance you'll ever get. You can get coverage uh, a few hundred dollars per million. You can, you can cover a million dollars for a few hundred dollars a year. And, you know, let's say... The neighbor kids are playing on my on my wall around my house, uh, and one of them hurts and falls and hurts themselves or whatever, and I get sued. Okay, well I have homeowners insurance and I have liability that covers that, but beyond that, if if there's a significant uh, thing, my umbrella policy will cover me for the amount of my net worth for very little money. We have. Uh, liability insurance on the car. If Crystal, heaven forbid, has an accident and, and someone's hurt, we have uh, insurance to cover that. But you can get sued way beyond that. And this umbrella policy, like I said, for a few hundred dollars per million, will will protect you. And it's just a wonderful thing most people don't know about. I love it. I love it. Um, all right. So I am writing that down because I have um, had those in the past and I want to double check with my husband to make sure we still have an umbrella policy. And I, I remember first finding out about that when I was on air and the man thought, the insurance guy thought because I was on air that it was important for me to protect my reputation, my assets, etc. because I was a little bit more known in the community and maybe more of a target at that particular time. All right. So this um, emergency fund, I've always had like this separate account where I put little checks, like if I did a commercial or I did this and that. And I actually had a pretty significant you know, amount of money in there. And then, Jim, I got irritated with the bank because my broader, my, my daughter brought in um, a lot of change, probably like $100 in change. And they're like, oh, mm-hmm. we don't we don't count that anymore. Like we don't take it. I'm like, what? You're our bank. Like, we keep a lot of money here. Um, you don't um, count out change or have a count. No, no, we don't do that anymore. I'm like, seriously? Like, you can't give her, like, even 10 bucks or 20 bucks for a bunch of quarters? And so I was like, this is like, you're not treating us very well. So I thought, well, I'll just close out this one account because they're irritating me so much that they won't help my kid. 
And so I didn't have this kind of, I guess it'd be my emergency fund, but it was more like if I wanted to do something without my husband giving me like 100% okay, like right now I want to put hardwood stairs, uh, hardwood on the stairs, which doesn't seem like a big deal, but it would help the value of our home and our carpet is really dilapidated and it's 30 years old and I've done the entire main floor bit by bit with money, but now I don't have a fund. And he goes, oh, well, I guess you'll have to bring in, start bringing in another source of income. And I was like, wait a second. I have a lot of money in the bank, but I've always done in 20 years of marriage this account generally with him. And then I thought, no, it's time for me to go back to putting my little checks, my little extra money into this account again, because it would be nice if I wanted to take a vacation or buy a car. That was one thing I was going to do with it when I had a significant amount in there or put in, you know, um, hardwood floor on the stairs. Like I would, I like to be able to say to him, you know, I've been saving up my little checks for commercials and things like that. And I'd like to use that money. Like last time, Jim, I used our dog money that we had access dental puppies and the breeder mm-hmm. split the breeder split the four puppies with us we had two and they had two so the, it was five thousand dollars and so i put hardwood in our bedroom but those are the things that i think he thinks are really a perk or i think they're a necessity but sure. he views them differently and even though all of our money is shared i do believe i should have this so that i'm not like what do they call it? Hamstrung? <laughs> you know, where, where he just tells me basically no. And I'm like, uh-uh, like I have a say in this. So that would be my emergency fund. But I also think it came in handy a couple of times when we did need to come up with a big chunk of change, like with the kids club sports now, when you have to come up with a significant amount of money at once, like and you don't want to go into your investments. Sure. Well, my brother, when I got into, I, I began my business career as I had my own office, my own firm, and I was a member of New York Stock Exchange, and I got my brother, who lives in another state, to open a little emergency fund, and I said, look, we're just going to put money in here, and you know, you'll know, you never see it, don't look at the statements, don't even worry about it, and if you have an emergency, we'll get them. Well, he just forgets about it for years and years and years and years, starts his own little construction company, then he gets a job where he's got to have an $800,000 bond, uh, to, to performance bond, to, to, to take on this job. And he calls his banker and said, where do I get an $800,000 bond? I need somebody to, to guarantee this for 800000 And the banker has a long pause and said, well, is there some reason you don't want to just pledge the money in your account? And he said, what money in what account? He said, well, you have more than that in this little account you started years ago. And my brother calls me and said, what happened? How did I get almost a million dollars in this account? I said, you know, a little bit every month. And it just, uh, there it is. And, you know, people understand, I, I call compound interest the eighth wonder of the world. They mm-hmm. understand it with Visa or MasterCard. Mm-hmm. They understand, how did my credit card bill get that high? They don't understand it when it's like, how in the world did my emergency fund get that big? And it just, it, it grows and grows. It's just astounding what it'll do. Unbelievable. I love it. I, I think I told you we recently did a, a lesson on compound interest with the kids when we do our learning moment, which we were trying to do every night, but now we do a couple times a week. And then another one of um, the ones we did was one you recently told me about was if you can give up the need to be right and to always yeah. win an argument that you're going to have a much better life and that you don't always have. It says don't make others feel de- defeated uh uh, give up the need to be right. And like, who wants to be, make people feel defe- defeated? So things like compound interest and other little gems I pick up from you and others, I like to utilize those throughout the day. So this, or throughout the week. So this particular column, what's our big takeaway? 
Well, the, it, you know, it, it's simply a matter. You don't have to do anything amazing. You just got to do a little something every day. And the most important thing you will ever do with your money is buy yourself peace of mind, you know, and a great night's sleep. And you don't have to worry about it because when all these things happen, and it's not if, it's when. It is when those things are going to happen, you're covered. You don't have to worry about it. You've got the money there to take care of it, and you take care of it. And it, the things that used to be a disaster are just kind of an annoyance, and you take care of it. Well, I um, over the years have learned a lot, you know, from you, and I've read some of your investment books. It's been a while, but um, I remember being so shocked that you revealed a lot about your finances in one particular book about becoming a millionaire, and I was rather shocked. And you have your email and contact information, so people, because you said don't ever take advice from someone that doesn't have what you want in that area where you're looking for advice. Yeah, that was a hard thing. I wrote that in the book, and then I went home and told Crystal we got to do something really, really uncomfortable because, you know, we don't talk about sex, religion, or money in our society. So uh, I said this, but I called Bank of America and Merrill Lynch, and I said, I need you guys to do an audited financial on your letterhead and uh, and, and not not my companies or my books or royalties, just just the amount in the investment account. And... uh, and I need to put it in this, I'm going to reprint it in this book with your information. If people don't believe it, they can call you. It's the millionaire map, and it it shows we started with nothing, and, uh, you know, there's over $10 million there. And I, I say that for one reason, one reason only. You know, my business is my business right up until I'm asking you or other people to change your life based on what I say. And then all of a sudden, my business becomes your business. <laughs> and uh, if we're not going to take advice from anybody that doesn't have what we want, we really, really need to check people out. Well, I sure have learned a lot from you over the years. I definitely consider you a mentor of mine and uh, and even my son during some of the tougher times he's had in, which he's doing great, by the way, but, um, you know, has sought advice from you as well. I want to make sure people can find you and all of your books. Do you know which one's coming out next by any chance? Uh, yes. The next one will be the second volume of Words That Shaped Our World, and it should be out uh probably in the summertime, and then uh, The Ultimate Gift Comes Alive will be out for the holidays. Awesome. I want those for sure. I want to do that interview this summer about the words because the, the last one was great. Uh, JimStovall.com, you're the best, my friend. Such a blessing to have you in my life. Talk soon. Goodland, Kansas. It's tuned to the mighty 670 KLT Denver. Arc Thrift needs your small furniture and electronics donations now. You can donate that end table or folding chair you've been meaning to find a new home for. Smaller sized furniture that can fit in your trunk and home goods like blenders and air fryers are items that Arc badly needs right now. They make it easy by unloading your car and your donations help people with intellectual and developmental disabilities, the primary mission of Arc Thrift. Arc has high demand for small electronics like speakers, soundbars, Bluetooth speakers, and turntables. And once you donate, you can shop in the stores for your own treasured finds. Each ARC thrift location has over 5,000 new items every day. So there is always something new and exciting. Every ARC thrift store keeps their shelves fresh with new merchandise, so each new purchase will be special to you. ARC's donation centers are open from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. Monday through Saturday. Sunday donation hours are available as well. To find the nearest ARC thrift donation center, go to arcthrift.com donations. Hey there, friend. Angie Austin here with the good news. You know, one of the most inspirational things I get to do 
is speak with people who are given a second chance, you know, another lease on life and how life-changing that is. I mean, imagine you go in for your checkup, uh, you know, or this afternoon you've got a cough or you're not feeling well and you go in, see the doctor, or you go to your physician or urgent care, run into the ER, they perform some tests and you get a diagnosis of, let's say, stage four cancer or, or something serious enough that they tell you, get your affairs in order, you know, we're not sure if this is something that we can, you know, conquer medically and imagine then you make it and then you get you know many more years maybe you have a family etc talk about life changing well we have the blessing on this program to interview a lot of people who've been given a second chance and that um, is always extremely inspirational to me and I hope to you as well Um, this particular month is lung cancer awareness month and I'm sure you know that you don't have to be a smoker to get lung cancer, but uh, we've got a Navy veteran who's going to join us who's been able to have a family since his diagnosis that was almost 20 years ago, and then also a specialist in the area because now they can screen for these things. Let's say you're over 50, then you should get screened. And it's so easy to be screened now. It's like easy peasy, you know, just a few minutes. I mean, I think about, you know, the, my, the mammograms. I go with my mom, you know, once a year and we make, you know, we go to lunch and now it's so different. You know, they've got like hot tea in a waiting area, you know, and we grab lunch. And it's almost like a spa day. You're probably thinking, really? So, yeah, we kind of look forward to spending that time together. It's kind of like, you know, our little thing that we do per se. But I hope you appreciate some of the interviews we bring to you. Um, this one in particular, Lung Cancer Awareness Month, that's this month, November. And we are partnering with two ex experts in the area, one who had cancer, one who treats cancer. So uh, partnering with Dr. Drew Maganaki and also lung cancer survivor Jim Pantelis. Welcome to both of you, gentlemen. Thanks for joining us on the good news. Hello, thank Hello. you for having us. Uh, you are welcome. Thank you for uh, you know helping us learn a little more. All right, um, Dr. Maganaki, let's start with you. I understand that you're a UCLA lung specialist. I know you've got a lot of uh, um, experience in this area. Uh, kind of give us just a lowdown on what you want to you know give us an overview of what you want to teach us today. Yeah, we want to let everyone know that we have an, uh, an excellent early detection lung screening program available for veterans and also a lot of people across the entire nation uh, that can help detect lung cancer earlier, uh, give us better uh, treatment options to help people live uh, better and longer lives, and, uh, and just to let people know that unfortunately only about 8% of those eligible are getting screened. And so we are here to, to help get the word out to get more people access to early detection. All right, well, let's just tell them how they do go about enrolling to get early detection. Well, lung screening is basically designed for people over the age of 50 who smokes quite a bit. They could also have a family history of lung cancer, and so they should start the conversation with their primary care doctor to see if it makes sense for them. After that, if, if so, the doctor will order a CT scan, and it's, a ver- it's the simplest of all screening tests. You walk into a radiology department, you lay on a table, the machine slides you in and out of a donut. You don't have to take your shoes or shirt off. And a day or two later, we get the results, and we can let the patient know what's going on with the status of their lungs. And we know that lung cancer is highly prevalent. Hundreds of thousands of Americans get lung cancer every year. And this allows us to find it earlier and then have a discussion about how best to take care of it. All right, well, let's talk to you too then, Jim. Uh, you're a Navy veteran and a 17-year lung cancer survivor. Uh, would you mind telling us some of your story? Sure. I was diagnosed with a late-stage lung cancer in 2005. Uh, 
when I was diagnosed, it had spread beyond just the lungs, so I had to go through a fairly invasive, a very invasive surgery, followed by chemotherapy and radiation. Uh, I mention this because lung cancer screening wasn't available in 2005, and my diagnosis was common for that era in that it was found as the result of, of kind of a mistake. Oh. <laughs> um, so today with lung cancer screening, the goal is to find it when it's small, uh, when it requires less invasive procedures and or responds to more precise therapies. And we can do that with lung cancer screening. And lung cancer screening is really the least invasive and the least offensive of, of all of the cancer screenings. Yeah, it's not quite like a colonoscopy, is it? No. <laughs> and there's no prep. <laughs> it, yes. It literally costs you two minutes a year. Well, doctor, I want to um, also help dispel something that I'm sure you've spent much of your career doing that people are like, well, lung cancer, that's for smokers. So could you explain um, you know, some of the symptoms someone should look for and they're thinking, well, I'm not a smoker, I'm not really at risk. What, what would, should cause us concern and make us go speak with our doctor and get screened? Yeah, so the first thing to know is that, and I hate to say this, but every, anyone with lungs can get lung cancer. Mm-hmm. We're seeing more and more people who never smoke getting lung cancer than ever before. We now have more women being diagnosed with lung cancer, and it, it is a national health care issue, and, 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 and we are increasingly making it a priority. The VA certainly has with national programs to take care of this. So the, the issue with lung screening is we're trying to get people screened before they have any symptoms. Mm. When these tumors are small, no one can feel them at all. It's only when it's grown to be pretty big when um, then, uh-oh, you know, this thing has grown beyond the lungs, as Jim said, and then, uh, you know, the treatments have to be, you know, pretty, pretty tough treatments to get people through. Now, um, sometimes the lung cancer may be growing into some part of the body that would give some symptoms, and that would be a cough that doesn't go away or some sort of pain, of course, bleeding. If you cough up blood, that is never normal, and you should definitely get that checked out. But again, with lung screening, we're talking about people who don't have any symptoms. However, you know, they smoked a lot, they're older, and they've been exposed to different sorts of chemicals, and uh, that's who should be screened. Now, Jim, um, you've been, you know, your cancer, we mentioned, has been in remission for many years, and you still get scanned. Uh, What is that like going in to get checked out? It literally is. It literally is just a matter of, of making the appointment, going in, meeting with the radiologist, laying down on a table, and getting run through a CAT scan, which is a, a donut-looking machine, uh, though it's not like an MRI. It's, you don't get run into the machine and stay there. A CAT scan is literally sliding you in and then sliding you out. Hmm. Uh, and it takes literally two minutes. Um, you don't take off your shoes. You don't take off your shirt. You don't have to prep for anything. Uh, and it's not at all painful. 
you know, one thing um, that I appreciate you're doing and you too, doctor, you know, a lot of the work you do with the VA, it benefits those of us who've never served, you know, so much research that you do and so many veterans that you work with. And I don't think people realize that so many of the things you learn, you research, that you engage in that trickles down to the rest of the population. So you're not just helping veterans, you're helping, you know, us as well. So speaking of which, I know you do clinical trials and things like that. If you did have any issues, whether it be, um, you know, uh, a cancer flare up or something else, Jim, would you get involved in any of the clinical trials that or anything, you know, that um, experimental, should I say, or exploratory, you know, the things that end up helping others as well as maybe you? I, I think that that's probably one of the most uh, common things in, within the VA. I, the, veterans, the veteran population always reaches back and tries to leave no one behind. I have been involved in clinical trials. I understand them. Uh, it, and, I, and I would, if, if my cancer came back, I would certainly consider cancer trials. Yeah, and I, and I just want to add, I, I appreciate you recognizing the VA for all it's been doing. It's been a real pioneer and leader in research and generating results that helps all people, especially mm-hmm. with lung cancer. And, uh, you know, it's trials and people like Jim who enroll who help us find better and better drugs, uh, better and better treatments. Uh, so it, gets us, it keeps getting us one step closer to the day when no one will ever have to die of lung cancer ever again. Now, Jim, obviously your situation was pretty serious, and here you are now almost 20 years later. Did did the success of your treatment and the further years you've been able to live, did it change your life? Oh, hugely. It, it, <laughs> I, I think of it as, as a reincarnation, if you will. The, the life that I had before cancer died. Wow. And and I essentially had to recreate a life after cancer, um, and that and the life after cancer has been pretty amazing because I've had three kids mm-hmm. in the last 17 years, uh, <laughs> and and I'm having uh, I'm I'm having the time of my life. There is life after a diagnosis. Um, the key is for us to try and help more people get to a point where they can survive their diagnosis Um, and that's doable with screening and with early detection Um, so yeah well, that that's that cool. that that is pretty cool to hear. And Dr. Maganaki, obviously, you've you've devoted your life to this, and I'm sure some of your stories are not uh, as uh, wonderful to tell as Jim's. So, when you do have patient successes like Jim's success, I can imagine that is beyond fulfilling for you. It really is. Uh, you know, one of the first things I do is have to have a conversation with newly diagnosed patients that it is not uniformly fatal. We've got better treatments than ever before. We've got something now called biomarker testing, which helps us appreciate that there are dozens and dozens of different types of lung cancer. In the past, there were just one or two, and all we would do is give chemotherapy. Today, we have targeted therapy that matches the right drug to the right type of tumor. You can't know this unless you get that biomarker testing. And so this really provides a new level of hope. We are seeing more people live longer and better lives than ever before. But you're absolutely right. We still lose the battle and we have tragic outcomes. Uh, sometimes in the patients who we thought were going to do the best end up doing the worst. 
And then the opposite also happens. We see tumor, we see patients coming with tumors all over their body, even in their brain, and they were supposed to be dead, a, you know, one year later, and here they are 14 years later, still alive, doing well, and all their scans are negative. And all of this is because of research, the discovery of biomarkers and better drugs and, you know, safer surgery and safer radiation therapy. All of it's come together and, uh, you know, this is why we're here. We want the public to be aware that lung cancer isn't what it used to be, that the face of lung cancer has definitely changed. Well, I um, we're almost out of time, but I always like to ask people when I get an opportunity like this, I kind of talk to Jim about how his life has changed. How did you, what gave you a passion for this area of expertise? Why did you want to become a doctor and specifically this? Well, I, I, I love to help people who really need help and, you know, uh, Society, unfortunately, I kind of kicked lung cancer to the curb. The outcomes weren't good. Our federal funding agencies weren't giving a lot of money for it. So I just, I just went all in. And right now, uh, lung cancer researchers are probably the most successful cancer researchers of all lung cancer. We've had, of all cancers, we've had more FDA drug approvals than any other cancer. Wow. We are making a difference. And, you know, that's, I think, one of the best things that in any academic physician could help to achieve in their career. Well, you, you were both making a difference. Jim, I loved hearing your story. And uh, Dr. Maganaki, thank you for all both of you are doing for others. A very inspirational interview. Appreciate both of you. This is great. And we just want all of your uh, listeners to know, you can go to screenofvet.org to learn more about this. Tell veterans, if, especially those who aren't signed up for VA Healthcare, to get signed up. And uh, if they need a screen, the VA, Medicare, and other healthcare insurance companies are now covering the cost of that screen. So let's get it done. Oh, that's great. Screenavet.org. Did I get that right? That's correct. Excellent. Thanks, doctor. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. Thanks for having us. You betcha. Thank you for listening to The Good News with Angie Austin on AM670 KLTT.